Welcome to the Center Point Pentecostal Church podcast. We hope that this podcast finds you well and that you are ready for a life-changing message from one of our outstanding and anointed ministers. If you like this podcast, please be sure to give us a follow and a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Now let's get to today's message. Hallelujah. If you're thankful for the Lord tonight, why don't you just clap your hands? Love Jesus. Come on, are you glad about it tonight? Are you glad for what the Lord has done for you tonight? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, such an honor to be in the house of the Lord tonight. So thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Give honor to Brother Beard. I know he's not here tonight. Thank him for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. No greater place to be on a Wednesday night than in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel tonight. I'm not going to keep you too long tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll read a few verses in this chapter. Samuel 16, we'll begin reading at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Going over to verse 11, same chapter, verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Amen. With the help of the Lord, I want to speak on this subject tonight, the heart of the church. 
the heart of the church. One more time, can we place our Bibles beside us? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer once again. Would you do that? Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices in this house right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together in your house tonight. Lord, we thank you for your spirit and your word in this place. Lord, we ask you tonight that, Lord, as your word goes forth, it would minister and touch every heart and every mind in this place tonight. God, let us hear your voice. And Lord, we give you thanks and praise in advance for it. And everybody said in Jesus' name. One more time, would you clap your hands and love Jesus. Smoke came pouring out of a building in Washington, D.C. The cause of the fire was unknown, but many of the residents were helpless to escape. The Marine barracks was only a short distance away. Marines stationed there saw the smoke and about 100 soldiers came running to the rescue. With their assistance, the fire department and paramedics were able to rescue all the residents, treat them for their injuries, and shelter them safely until their loved ones had arrived. This untimely event was probably not on the shoulders, uh, on the soldiers' agenda that day, but to them, it was imperative to help these people. The burning building was a residence for senior citizens, and all the people that the Marines helped that day were elderly. However, the age of those in need did not matter to the Marines. All they saw were people in need. The Marines were there to help. When God is looking for someone to lead, we would expect him to choose from the elite. He could pick from the most handsome, the strongest, perhaps the most intelligent. But when God is looking for someone to lead, it does not matter how old you are, how smart you are, or what your background is. God looks for availability, and he equips those who are willing to serve. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, through Jesus Christ. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
verses 1 through 3 here, Paul is saying, we all at one time were walking in sin. We all were being led uh, by the influence of the world and by our flesh and the enemy of our soul. We lived how we wanted, fulfilled our flesh's desires, basically saying that from the outside, none of us were worthy to be chosen by God. None of us could stand in the place that we all stand in tonight. But verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy, loved us so much that through the sacrifice of Calvary, God was able to raise us up from the deadness of our sins and now we are able to sit in those heavenly places. That means we get to experience what God wants us to experience. We get to walk in the supernatural. We get to rise above this realm that we are currently living in and we get to experience the heavenlies. We get to experience what God has for his church to experience. Then verse 7 through 10 shows us that God chose people like us to become his workmanship or his displays of grace and love so that other generations will see the love and the compassion that God has for us all. The reason why God chooses imperfect beings is so that we will reveal his perfectness through us. We can reveal to other imperfect beings who are struggling and who feel unworthy to be loved and to be used by God. They can look upon us and see that if God can work through somebody like me, if God can speak through somebody like me, if God can minister and, and move in somebody's life like mine, then surely God can move in somebody else's. God doesn't raise up people and leaders just to benefit himself. But he takes nobodies, broken people, hurting people, and raises them up to show other hurting and broken people that God loves them too and really does want to do a great work in their lives just like he did ours. We must remember we were nobodies. We were drunks. We were addicts. We were told we were no good and wasn't worth much. But God who is rich in mercy, God who has love and compassion, God who decided that we were worth something. Amen. Amen. And for that, I'm thankful for the Lord and all that he is doing in our lives. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed at the age of 39. According to the autopsy, he had the heart of a 60-year-old man. Doctors believed his heart had aged due to the significant stress caused by his work as a prominent leader of the civil rights movement. While his physical heart was in poor shape, his spiritual heart was stronger than ever. His resilience in the face of constant political pressure and frequent physical harm was demonstrated in his final speech given the night before his death. He stated, only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. Within 24 hours of uttering these words, the man was gone and his movement saw its darkest hour. Yet his words would carry on and inspire others to take up the mantle and lead movements forward. 
This is simply one statement spoken of many by this leader demonstrating his passion and understanding that leaders must be of strong heart even in the face of their own demise. A leader's heart cannot waver or falter from the path ahead. In this hour that we are living in, people are searching for truth. People are searching for something that is real and secure, something that is unshakable and unmovable. So we as the church must make sure that we are displaying to this world absolute truth and its stability. Through Jesus Christ, we must be assured of what we believe and show no signs of wavering or backing away when the questions come or the hard times come or uh, somebody who may doubt or disagree comes. We must know what we believe and we must make sure we know why we believe it. If there was ever a time to know why we believe what we said we believe, it's now. Because this world is questioning everything. And if we think we can skate on by because we fly under a banner of a church, we're sadly mistaken. It's time to understand. It's not just know about Jesus. It's time to know Jesus. It's not just being able to quote Acts 2.38. I got to know Acts 2.38. Come on, it's not just time to say I'm a part of the church. It's time to be the church. It's time to take the church outside the city wall, outside into the streets, uh, and let somebody else know the reason I've been a part of this for so long is because it's sure, and it's been tried, and it's been proven to be true. I'm not a part of this to be religious. I'm not a part of this to say I go to church. I'm a part of this because I love God and he loved me and he saved me and he put me in my right mind. Come on, somebody ought to clap your hands right there. Come on, I'm not a part of this because grandma and grandpa was a part of this. I'm a part of this because I believe in this. You want to know why I believe in this? Because it's been proven to be true. God answers prayer. God heals broken lives. God mends marriages. God heals and delivers. I don't want to be offensive. I know Pastor ain't here, so I give you guys permission. Just take the mic. I'm, I'm not as here as much as you are, but I will say this. This world don't need another religion. This world just don't need another church to just come and be a part of. This world needs something that's going to not only pull them out, but change their life. Something that's going to heal them. Something that's going to show them that they don't have to be a floor mat for the world. They don't have to be a floor mat for the devil. That if they live for God and give themselves to him, God is going to fight for them. God is going to help them. Amen. I heard something one time that said we got a full-time God, so there's no need for part-time Christianity. There's no part-time in this thing. You know, some of us take part-time on our job and part-time on other things, but this thing we should punch in and never punch out until we either die or we get raptured out of here. 
Well, praise God. Amen. Somebody's depending on us. But greater than that, God is depending on us. God saved you. Think about this. God saved you because he thought enough about you that you could be an excellent representative for him. You ever thought about that? God didn't just do some random bingo ball draw and pull you out. No, God saw something in you that he said, you know what? They could be beneficial to my kingdom. They could be beneficial to my, well, you're not hearing me on a Wednesday night. God saved you because he believed in you. God saved your family because he believes in what your family has. He believes you and your family could be another billboard to this lost and dying world. That our God is good. And he never makes mistakes. And he loves us unconditionally. Amen. Why don't we clap our hands and just love him one more time. Amen. Amen. God has saved us and called us out. We're all called to be leaders tonight. Whether you're in an actual position or you're just a part of the church, every one of us is in a leadership position. We have all been called to make disciples. We've all been called to help lead somebody else to Christ. Now, some of you may do it through your offices and talents and anointing as far as singing and teaching and preaching, Bible study teaching, but some of us, it may just be your everyday life. It may be you just showing up on the job and being the most honest, moral, Showing up on the job and refusing to take part in all the mess that's going on around, but instead you're going to stand and you're going to let your light shine and you're going to let everybody know that I don't have to take part in that. Hello? You can go to Walmart and be a representative of Christ. I know it's difficult at times, but you can still do that. You can go to the restaurant and still be a representative. Come on, it's not just behind a pulpit. That's the least of my ministry. You want to know where my ministry is really in check? It's when I'm out there rubbing shoulders with those who don't know who Christ is. That's my ministry. Oh, yeah, I'm an evangelist, and I get to travel, and and the Lord has has done some great things, but that's, that's the least part of my ministry. The greatest part of me and my family's ministry is how we respond in a world who's turning their back on God. Well, praise God. And we laugh about it, but it's the truth. It's how we respond when the poor little waitress who's already been given 12 tables and she's worked a 12-hour shift already and she messes up and gets your order wrong, how good of a Christian are you going to be? Christian can we be then? Well, praise God. I'm talking about a ministry. I'm talking about being God-called leaders 
leading folks to Christ. If there was ever a time that we need to be pulling folks towards the church and towards Jesus, it is now. We do not need to be running folks off. We have been handpicked where you and I live and where you and I work. We have been handpicked to be representatives to that particular location by Christ. We are ambassadors, Paul said. And just as a, an ambassador from an outside country is the representative of that country in a neighboring country, that's what we're called to be, representatives of Jesus in this foreign land. And so we have a great responsibility tonight. We do. We really do. I know it's frustrating. I know the job can get frustrating. I know life can get frustrating. Flat tires and medical bills and the price of groceries and, and the way things are going in our government. I know the pressure of life rubs us the wrong way, but we have to make sure that in those times where it feels like we're living in a pressure cooker, we're doing the best we can to let us die and Jesus break through and shine in the circumstance. Because you never know, that little waitress who got your order wrong, she may be ready to go home and blow her brains out, but it may be your encouraging word and your good attitude and your pat on the back that says, you know what, maybe I can go on to see another day. Amen. Yes, it can. Your smile, your encouraging word, your simple prayer could be the one prayer that turns somebody's entire life around. And the reason I know that is because I've seen it happen. And I've seen God do it. And that's what God wants to do through each and every one of us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Verses 11 through 13 here, God is dealing with the church and he is saying as God called leaders, as ministers of my church and of my gospel, we are called to help lead, oversee, tend to, and nurture the flock of Jesus Christ. The people filled with the Holy Ghost or people seeking God and trying to make a step towards God. Our roles in the church, no matter what they may be, play a vital part in stabilizing the church, reaching the communities through the diversity of all of our departments and our various giftings and ministries to raise up apostolic disciples. 
That's the call of the church. That should be the heartbeat of the church is to raise up. Here it is. You ready? Raise up not an apostolic building. Not to raise up great numbers on a Sunday school report. Our job as the church is to raise up and help create apostolic Christ-centered families. We have been commissioned by God not to build buildings and grow Sunday school departments, although all that is vital in reaching our community. But the core mission of the church, the heartbeat of Jesus Christ to his disciples was, go ye and make disciples. Go teach somebody else. Go show them how to live how you're living. And then once they get it, release them to go teach somebody else. And then when they get it and they become, then release them to go teach somebody else. And that's how the church grows. So the key, uh, key things to remember in, in this passage of scriptures in verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 12 says edifying of the body means feeding and nurturing them so they grow. Equipping the body, giving people the right tools to live for God. Not so we can grow in big numbers, not just so we can have a, a great giant department or a great church or preach to big crowds, but it's to grow people to set them up to be able to succeed in the kingdom of God. In other words, we are to lead people not just to hear the gospel, but to live the gospel. Our job as witnesses, remember he said I'm going to, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost comes to be witnesses. What does witnesses do? You go about telling everybody what you just experienced. But our job is not just to lead people to the gospel. Our job is to help them live the gospel, become a part of the gospel. That's the call of the church. That should be the heartbeat of the church, the core mission that Jesus gave his disciples was to go and make disciples. Webster says that a disciple is a student or a follower of any teacher. But it's not just a student. It's one who applies or follows or lives what he or she is learning. Christ said, go make disciples. Go make people whose lives will be changed by this gospel. Verse 13, until we all come into the unity of the faith, the role of the church, the role of the leadership and the saints of God alike, no matter what role you play in the house of God, should all have one common goal, and that is to promote unity in the body. It's quiet on that one, but unity in the body. Our job is to promote unity in the body. In the body. Please tell me who's going to stay apart or who's going to come visit your church when people are attacking the pastor on Facebook. When two families are in a heated disagreement on social media. Or, man, pastor should have been here tonight. I'm going to get in trouble. Are you known for what church you attend or cussing out the cashier at Walmart because she won't take your coupons? Well, 
It's where we live. And so our job is to make disciples and promote unity of the faith, unity in this body. We are to reach across the aisle. You might like green carpet. I might like blue carpet. You might like a red pickup truck. I might like a purple one. But that should never get in between our purpose in living for God. Our purpose we should both agree on is that those that are sick, those that are broken, those that need healing, those that are struggling, you and I, Brother Herman, ought to be able to join together and say, let's pray, let's seek God, let's ask God to go and heal them and deliver them. That's unity of the faith. That's unity of the faith. That is working together for this common goal. Psalms chapter 131 verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. A unified church is an anointed church. A unified church is a supernatural church. The Holy Ghost poured out in the upper room not before they were in one mind and one accord. The Holy Ghost poured out, it said, after. They were gathered together in one place. It wasn't half of them saying, well, no, we need to go over here. It wasn't the other half saying, no, it needs to happen over here. They were all in one place. And in one mindset, there's a promise that Jesus promised, and we're not leaving here until we get it. And when they got in all in one mindset, under one roof, one place, the Bible said, then the Holy Ghost poured out. A supernatural church is a unified church, one who understands this is the house of God. This is where God saves. This is where God delivers. This is where God heals. This is where things happen in the spirit. This is where me and my family can come and we can lay our burdens down and we can lay our sicknesses down. This is the place. Our world is divided. Politicians are divided. People are so divided. This world not only needs a truth-preaching church, but it needs a unified church. A church that's able to stretch forth my hand around you when you're hurting and pray for you, but can also take my hand with you when God blesses you and rejoice with you. Not stab you in the back because you got your prayers answered and I didn't. a church that can rejoice together, can pray together, a church that can laugh together, cry together, a church that can walk through fire together, walk through the water together, celebrate together, shout together, pray together, and see God do incredible things together. Paul said that we all work together in unity, in the teaching, in learning, in preaching, in serving, in giving, in singing, in greeting, everything it all together in unity. Everybody's place in the house of God is important. Brother Beard used to say it all the time. There's no big I's and little U's in Jesus Christ. Your ministry is just as important as his. 
and his is just as important as yours. The singers are just as important as the sound technician. The sound technician is just as important as those that makes the house of God smell fresh and look clean with the trash empty. That's an important part of the house of God. Another important part of the house of God is those that stand out there in the foyer and shake everybody's hand and say, good morning, glad to see you. You're the first face of our church. Every role is vital in the house of God. And so when we understand each other's roles and we give respect to each other's give respect to each other's roles, we become an anointed church. We become a supernatural church. I love the music department. The music department sets a great uh, uh, atmosphere for the preaching. But church is not just about the music department. Church is not just about the preaching. As much as I love preaching, I love to hear the word of God. I love to hear it taught. I love to hear it preached. I love to hear Bible study. But it's not just about the preaching. <laughs> Sunday school is not better than the youth department. The youth department is not better than the Sunday school department. They're all there trying to help train up our children in Christian education. So you see, we all play a vital role in this thing. And so we all need to look at each other not with comparison but with respect and say, man, I appreciate everything you're doing to make our church the great place that it is. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you for doing what, thank you for doing what you're doing to make our church the great church that it is. We couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without our ushers. We couldn't do it without our sound men. We couldn't do it. We can't do it without our pastor. We can't do it without the musician. We can't do it. The heart of the church is discipleship and it's unity. It's a unified effort. And so he said we're to do all of this in unity and work towards attaining the whole measure of Christ. We are the body. Everybody can't be a toe. Everybody can't be a nose. Everybody can't when we all work in our respective places and do it together, we become a functioning body. And so Paul said when we get it together in unity and we get all on the same page, one mind and one accord, we work unto the whole measure of Christ. We become Christ's fully functional operational body. That means Christ's mouth is speaking, Christ's hands is reaching, Christ's feet is going. Christ, well, you see, it all works together. We're making up the body. You say, well, Brother Lee, all I can do is cook jambalaya. Praise God. Cook jambalaya and bring it to the widows. Cook jambalaya and bring it to the homeless. Cook jambalaya and bring it to your coworkers and tell them, this is from Centerpoint Pentecostal Church. We want you to know we love you. We appreciate you. We want you to know there's a God that loves you too. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. There's no first in line at the foot of the cross. Remember that. No first in line at the foot of the cross. And so we do all of this to work toward attaining the whole measure of Christ in order for verse 14 to happen and that the church be no more as children being tossed around by every different doctrine and belief. The way we help get people saved and on the road to heaven 
is while we work together in unity, we do it with one common goal. And that is we're building the kingdom of God here. I'm not here building the kingdom of Jeffrey Lee. <laughs> Praise God. I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. And you say, well, you're saying that because you're the one preaching. I'm just telling you how I honestly feel. I'd have been just fine sitting next to my wife tonight and hearing one of these gentlemen preach. Because I believe in their ministry just as much as I believe in mine. And so it's not going to offend me if pastor tells me you're not on the calendar this month. Praise God. Who is? Because I'm coming and I'm going to support who it is. Because it's not no big eyes and little U's. It's not Jeffrey's kingdom. I, I know he's not here, but I'm sure Sister Mary will say it. It's not Carl Beard's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And so we are to use our talents and our giftings and our offices and our calls to build God's kingdom. And right now, from the looks of it, every one of us is called to center point. I know I'm an evangelist, I come and go, but I base out of here. So this is my home church. And so if I'm in the area and I'm at home, I'm inviting somebody to come here. I'm not sending them down the road, I'm sending them here. Because I believe in here. Huh. Well, praise God. I believe here. That's why when my family moved from Mississippi, we come back here. Because I believe in here. I believe in the leadership here. I believe in the community here. And we all should have that same belief. I'm working to see my church built, but not a building. I'm talking about we're going to build people. We're going to build the kingdom of God right here at Centerpoint. I'm going to join with the music team. The music team's going to join with the greeters. The greeters are going to join with the ushers. The ushers are going to join with the cleaning lady. The cleaning lady's going to hold hands with the pastor. We're all going to hold hands together, and we're going to see God do some incredible things right here. Amen. Amen. People are being tossed about by every wind. If this scripture has ever come alive, it's this time. There's so many doctrines and beliefs and things that, that are being taught to our children and, and to, to even adults alike that are trying to sway you to believe one thing or another. And so what needs to happen in this time it's not only we need to be a discipleship church and a unified church, but we need to be rallied together around one thing, and that's truth. Truth. Truth is what saves. Truth is what delivers. Truth is what heals. Truth is what brings deliverance. Truth is what puts people that are in their wrong mind in their right mind. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's not what I feel like. It's what the Bible says. It's truth. Not a lot of claps on that one, but it's still true. Paul said, speaking the truth in love. So yes, we ought to love them, but we still ought to stand for truth. It still takes being baptized in Jesus' name. It still takes being full of the Holy Ghost. It still takes living a repented lifestyle. still takes being dedicated, holy, consecrated unto God. It still takes giving, prayer. This world is waiting to devour, deceive, and destroy people. This world needs a church that is not only strong in worship, 
that is not only strong together in its fellowship, but it's strong together in its doctrine. Church that stands together in the doctrine. Not the leadership preaching one thing and I'm living another thing. And can I just say this? I'm probably already in enough trouble. But if you're in leadership in this church and you don't believe what your pastor believes, you ought to have the decency to step down. Because all you are doing is bringing confusion into the body. Because the people hear the pastor on Sunday preach it one way, but they see you living it another way. Now, we can't police everybody and tell everybody how to live. you got to work your own plan of salvation out between God. But when it comes to what the Bible says, there's no debate about it. So you ought to do your pastor a favor. You ought to call him tomorrow and say, I love you. I love Center Point, But right now I'm struggling with believing some things in the Bible. So that way I'm not a reproach to the church. I'm going to step back because I want you to teach me a Bible study. Because this world gets enough confusion. This world is giving people enough this, that, and the other. What we need to do is bring them into an atmosphere that we know is true, we know is firm, and we know is sure. This is the way. Walk ye in thereof. Come on. Anybody still believe in the apostolic doctrine? Anybody still believe you must be born again of the water and of the spirit? Anybody still believe? You must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin. Anybody still believe? You must be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Talking about the heart of the church. The heart of the church. The heart of the church should beat for what Jesus beats for. And that is revival. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but there's been a lot of prophecy happening around here about revival. And that's going to happen. If God said it, it's going to happen. But the only way that God's going to pour it out on us is if we get ready for it. God's not going to give us what we're not ready for. I'm not going to say where it was, but there was a church. It was prophesied to that God was going to give them 500 in three years. They were already running 200 people. They were teaching Bible studies every week. They had a growing youth department. They had an awesome Sunday school department. I mean, they had great things. But then all of a sudden, miscommunication crept in. And this one got off the page with that one, and that one got off the page of that one, and that one started doing their own thing, and that one was going behind other leaders' back, and telling the pastor this, that, and the other and causing all kind of strife. And guess what? Three years came and they lost folks. Now, you, somebody on the outside could say, well, I mean, who knows? Was that really a word from God? I believe it was. I believe they just wasn't prepared for it. Because I can find countless scriptures in the Bible where God's not going to give you what you are not prepared to handle. So while we believe what Brother Yates has stated about they're going to come in, what he said, by the tens and the twenties, are we prepared for 10, 20 people to show up all at once? Are we prepared if God dropped 50 souls in the next three months, are we prepared to disciple them, teach them, and get them involved in the church? That's questions we need to ask ourselves. And the way we do get prepared is by this. We find what is the heart of God. 
my church. And that is discipleship, unity, teaching the faith, teaching the doctrine, walking together, marching together in unity, preaching and teaching what thus says the Lord. A genuine leader, a genuine church dedicated to the mission of Jesus has a heart to love, serve, give, promote, build up because he or she understands that this something I belong to is much bigger than me. I am working for God. I have been commissioned by the king to serve him and work for him. People don't need a church with its leaders and members divided. People need a church where everybody's standing together shoulder to shoulder saying we are here for you. We're here for you. I never forget the first time we ever come to this church. <laughs> Years ago. Precious Peyton wasn't even born yet. I just had two little bitty babies. And man, this church made us feel like family our first time here. That's what people are looking for. It's somewhere where they can walk in and they can automatically just, they can breathe. And they know this is a safe place. This is a place where, where, I can feel safe and I can, I can maybe let my guard down a little bit and, and, and this is a place where obviously folks are in unity and obviously folks are really in tune with God here and, and this is a great place that I can bring me and my family for what we are looking for. We must come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and let's reach not only for revival to come for revival to stay. Let's promote unity. Let's edify this body by serving in the roles God has called of us. And we will see the great revival that's being prophesied in this place. And by working together, speaking the truth, preaching the truth, singing the truth, living the truth in love, in compassion, in unity, we will see that increase come. Clap your hands and love the Lord one more time, would you? Come on, would you just give him a shout of praise right now? When God was choosing out a man, I've got so many more notes, but I've got to, I've got to turn this down. It's already 8 o'clock. But when God was looking for a man to lead his people, God found everything that was in his heart in the heart of David. God found faithfulness. God found obedience. And God found love, compassion. And God also found service. David is anointed to be king. He gets his call. He gets his anointing, Samuel pours the oil on him and after all the fanfare, after all the whatever prayer Samuel prays and tells David the Bible says Samuel turns around and leaves David is still standing there, still got the anointing all dripping off his head and his dad turns to him and says, alright boy get back out <laughs> head back to the field get back to the sheep well, wait a minute, Dad, I'm anointed. I've been prophesied to. I've, I've got the calling to be the next king. 
I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. The only thing I find is David right back on that hillside watching his father's sheep because David had faithfulness in his heart. David had regard for his father in his heart. But not only did he have that in his heart, he also had a regard for his father's sheep in his heart because his father asked him to watch for them. And so you know the story when he's finally sent to, to uh, go out on, on the field and he ends up facing Goliath, you know the story. He even tells Saul that a lion came and a bear came one day and he stood against them both to protect his father's sheep. Now I have to really believe that I don't know if David really liked being a shepherd. I don't know if David really enjoyed sitting on that hillside. I don't know if David really enjoyed being out there all alone by himself. But what I do know is that David loved his father so much that he decided to do what his father asked him to do even when nobody was looking. Even when nobody was watching. When it would have been easy, Brother Rodney, to probably just kind of pin off one of them and slip them out the gate and say, here you go, fellas, get on out of here and maybe you won't bother me again. David said, no, not a one sheep will I allow this lion and this bear to get a hold of. And so the heart of David should be the heart of every one of us tonight. And that is we ought to look across this congregation and then we ought to look at the spirit of this world and say, you're not going to have a one of them. That's the heart of the church. You see that family sitting back there? They belong to my family. And I'm not going to let you have a one of them. You ain't hear me. You see that family sitting back there lying? You see them back there, bear? They belong to our family. And we're not going to let you have a one of them. Because God called... You seen those visitors we had Sunday morning that were praying in the altar? They're part of our family now, and we're going to look out for them. We're going to reach out for them. I'm talking about the heart of the church tonight. We're not going to let you have a one. Because huh. they're a part of our church. They're a part of our family. They're what our Father asked us to watch over. They're what our Father asked us to feed. They're what our Father asked us to water. They're what our Father asked us to stand in the gate and watch over. And I refuse to let anything take one of them. And so the heart of a church is a heart who looks beyond where you are, beyond what you've done, beyond the side of the tracks you live on, beyond your name, beyond your money, beyond your finances, and says that's our community, that's our people, that's who God wants to be a part of this family, and so we're not going to stop marching, we're not going to stop praying, we're not going to stop... We're not going to stop reaching... Until God is through with us here. David was faithful. David was obedient. And David was willing to serve. His father told him, hey boy, why don't you leave those sheep and run out to the field and go check on your brothers. 
And while you're there, why don't you bring them some cheese and some wine and some bread? Why don't you serve them while you're out there? You mean serve the ones who laughed at me? Serve the ones who told me I was just a ruddy little fellow? Serve the ones who left me out in the field while Samuel was out here asking, where's all the brothers? That, those guys? You want me to go serve those guys? Yes, go check on those guys and serve them. And you know what David said? Yes, sir. And David walked in anointing. And David stepped into his role as king because he was willing to serve. And he was willing to remain faithful. Stand with me. The heart of the church. The heart of the church all boils down to this. I close with this. Jesus has just risen from the tomb. And the Bible says he shows up on the seashore. And Peter and a couple of fellows are out in the boat fishing. Jesus says, hey, fellas, caught anything to eat? And then they draw the, the, the boat closer and they realize it's Jesus. And so they get out of the boat, they sit, they eat, they fellowship a little bit. And then Jesus asks the famous question to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Of course, Lord, yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. They talk a little bit more. Peter? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. Talk just a few more sentences. Peter, do you really love me? And the Bible says Peter even kind of got a little angry. Yes, Lord, of course. I mean, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. What are you doing in the boat fishing, Peter? That's not what I called you to do. When I stepped foot on this shore three and a half years ago, I pulled you out of that boat and told you you're going to be fishers of men. But the moment I leave, the moment it starts to look like it's falling apart, you're back fishing. That's not what I called you to do. Feed my sheep. Feed them. Take care of them. There's a world out there that needs the keys that I gave you. Take it to him, Peter. But what I find so interesting is Jesus says, feed my lambs first. Then says twice, feed my sheep. And I really, in prayer today, this is what I felt the Lord speak to me, is we can feed the lambs, but we forget to feed the sheep. We get them prayed through the Holy Ghost. We get them baptized in Jesus' name. And then we let them fend for themselves. Well, they're baptized now. They're full of the Holy Ghost now. They're on their own. But Jesus said, feed the lambs, feed the babies. But then twice he said, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Because it's twice as important to feed the sheep as it is the babies. Because you see, the babies can't fend for themselves. So they're going to depend on you for, your, for the food. But when they start to walk a little bit, and they start to get on their own, they start to get out into the real world a little bit. Let's not forsake them and just leave them to the wolves. You still got to feed them, Peter. You still got to take care of them. 
You still got to check in on them. You still ought to call them every once in a while. You still ought to invite them over to Wendy's after a Sunday night service and say, hey, just want you to know we love you and your family. We're so glad you're a part of CPC. We're so glad you're here. What are you doing fishing, Peter? Why are you back in your boat? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He didn't say go build new buildings. He didn't say go rebuild this or that. He didn't say go draw huge crowds. He said, Peter, take the keys that I gave you and go unlock the door of heaven. Our sole mission is not to fish for fish, but it's to feed sheep. Contrary to popular belief, that's not just the pastor's job. That's my job. It's my job. It's my job to help feed the sheep. The heart of the church should lie in that one sentence Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. Feed my sheep. The Lord has put people in all of our paths. The Lord has put people that have come to this church and have prayed through and has, was baptized in Jesus' name that have either walked away from truth, given up, got devoured by the enemy, life took a wrong turn and now they're not here but there's folks that we all could reach out to tomorrow that we could say Jesus still loves you Jesus still has a work for you and your family and CPC still has a spot for you on our pews that's why I believe in this day and age more than swinging from the chandeliers and running the aisles. I love it. I love every time we do it. But I think every now and then we got to stop and say, Lord, check my heart. What is it beating for? Is it beating for the sheep? Is it reaching? Is it trying to help hurting families? Is it trying to reach out across the aisle and let visitors and friends and guests know that this is the place they ought to be? Is it leaning on the shoulder of my brother next to me or my sister next to me and letting them know you're not in this fight by yourselves? Is it working together in harmony to say we want to reach the lost of this community? Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it changes and impacts your life for days to come. If you would like to connect with us further, Give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash Centerpoint Pentecostal Church or just search Centerpoint Pentecostal Church on Facebook. If you would like to join one of our services in person, the service times and address are in the podcast description. Thank you and God bless and we hope to see you on the next episode.